0: Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Normally, I always preach on the gospel, yet today I want to deviate from that. What I want to focus our attention on is the second reading. In fact, the second reading for the past three weeks, as well as for all of the Easter season which comes from the book of Revelation. Now, I don't know if you've been realizing this, but for the past several weeks during the season of Easter, the second reading has always been from the book of Revelation, and it will continue the entire season of Easter. So for six weeks in a row, our church asks us to read from the book of Revelation. So it then begs the question, why? Why is this book so important? Well, what I would like to do is take an opportunity to look at the book of Revelation and see what it truly is. Now, arguably, it is the strangest of all the books in the Bible because the plot is the oddest in all the Bible. The events are the most bizarre, plagues, battles, battles on earth, in heaven, involving angels and Satan, strange characters like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the seven seals that are opened up and then interpreted. So, the book of Revelation can be symbolically read, and in doing so, it's open to a wide variety of interpretations throughout the centuries. Last week, I googled the book of Revelation, and over 2.5 million websites came up. Revelation has inspired a lot of interest for centuries on end, from Christians as well as non-Christians. Now, one of the reasons for this It's the last book of the Bible. What I mean by that, it is literally God's last word to us. Now, Christians have been very interested in understanding God's final words to us for centuries. I don't know if you remember, but about 15 years ago or so, there is a series of books called Left Behind that talked about the rapture, Jesus' second coming, and all the terrible events that would lead to the end of the world. Well, that series left behind relied heavily on the book of Revelation as its source. So, what are we to make of this? How are we to read the book of Revelation? And, better yet, how are we to understand it? Well, I think we have to first look at the basics. What does that word mean, Revelation? Now, the Greek word for it is apokalopsis. When translated, it means apocalypse. Now, so many people make the mistake of thinking, apocalypse is the word that describes the end of the world. It doesn't. Apocalypsis essentially means to uncover. Now, the Latin word for revelation is revelation, which means unveiling or revealing. And so, if this book, the book of Revelation, is about the end of the world, then it has not been a revealing text over the 2,000 years of our world. Think of it, our world has faced wars, plagues, droughts, natural disasters. And yet guess what? We're still here. The world still exists and hasn't ended. Instead, the book of Revelation tells us some very deep truths about ourselves, the world, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom. It tells us the past, the present, and the future. Does it predict the future? Yes, to some degree. Does it have something to do with what happened 2,000 years ago in our early church? Yes, absolutely. But it also reveals truths about us now. Well, what else does it reveal? That Jesus Christ is Lord, and Jesus, as he says, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the one who explains all of history because he is the Lord of all of history. Now, those who side with Jesus, that's us, those will be the ones that will win the final victory. Now, those opposed to Jesus, essentially will be on the losing side of history. That is one of the points, or the great points of revelation in in this book. Now, we know God is Lord. We know Jesus established victory over sin and death. Now it's time for us not just to believe that, but to live it out in our faith each and every day of our life. Now, was that message relevant to the early church 2,000 years ago? Sure. Is it relevant at the end of time? Yes. Is it relevant to us now? Yes. You better believe it. See, that's why we need to look at this book very carefully why the church asks us to read it for the next six weeks straight during the Easter season. Now, the author of Revelation is John, who also authored the Gospel of John, the Apostle. John is, as he is writing the book of Revelation, he's no longer that young man that used to be with Jesus and all the other apostles running around the countryside in the Holy Land. Well, right now, as John writes the book of Revelation, he's an old man. In fact, he's at the end of his life. And he receives a series of visions that reveal the deepest truths of Jesus Christ. Now, the first vision is of the risen Lord. Now, he hears the voice of Jesus and he describes it like a trumpet. Now, many of us have heard a trumpet and we recognize that is one of of the most powerful instruments in music. Now, he hears that trumpet voice. And he turns, and what does he see? Jesus standing in risen glory, his hair and his beard white. He's wearing a white robe. His face is luminous. Light is radiating from Jesus, just like it did in the story of the Transfiguration. Now, notice that dichotomy that John always uses in Revelation as well as in his gospel. The dichotomy of light and darkness. Judas betrays Jesus at night. Last week, we heard the apostles were fishing all night long and caught nothing. And yet, at daybreak, Jesus tells them to cast their nets and they witness a miracle. Well, John is always telling us in the light is Jesus Christ. He is the true light, the divine light that illuminates our lives and shows us the way and the path to Him. Darkness is evil. Darkness is where people do evil deeds that they don't want others to see. John is always proclaiming that. Now, the risen Christ, essentially, he is emulating all this light. He's radiating this beautiful divine life from heaven. Now the second image that John receives is coming out of Jesus' mouth is a great sword. Now we, for as Christians, for centuries on end, we have fought with a sword. It's the sword of the word of God. And now Jesus tells John to carry out these messages to the seven churches in the early church period. Now remember, 2,000 years ago, our Christian church was largely focused on the northeast corner of the Mediterranean, which would be present-day Holy Land, Syria, and part of Greece. So Jesus sends these messages to these seven churches in this little area. But these messages are very applicable for our church today. And that's one of the reasons why our church asks us to read Revelations throughout all of Easter season. Now due to time constraints, what I want to do is I want to focus on the last message that Jesus gives to John. Jesus says, I know your works are neither cold nor hot. How I wish that they were either cold or hot, but they are lukewarm. Jesus basically is saying, I would prefer it if you're either cold or hot to the gospel, whether you accept the gospel, embrace it, or are opposed to it. Either or, you're expending some type of spiritual energy to embrace the gospel or be in opposition to it. But being lukewarm means you're indifferent, complacent in the spiritual life. And so Jesus is chastising, you could say, those people that are lukewarm in their faith. What's the reason for this? Well, Jesus continues in his message. He says, you say you are rich and that I need nothing. Well, when you stop and think, materially speaking, yes, we are very well off compared to most other countries throughout this world. We are an economic superpower. In fact, we're the only one remaining. Our lives are pretty convenient. Jesus continues. He says, you don't realize you are poor people. So what is he talking about here? Well, he's talking at a level that is much deeper than economics, military, or cultural status. Jesus is getting at the spiritual level. Jesus is essentially addressing those that are lukewarm in their faith. That if you are, essentially you are poor, spiritually speaking. And yet, here's the good news. Jesus continues. He says, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door, and I will come in to you and eat with you. We are all sinners, and we need a Savior. Now, Jesus gives us this beautiful message in the book of Revelation. Jesus stands at the door knocking. It's the door of our soul. That's what he's knocking at. He wants into our lives. Now, notice, too, that detail. He's knocking at the door. He doesn't open that door up himself. He doesn't bust down that door, which he could easily do. Instead, he knocks. He gives us the choice He respects our free will, whether or not we want to open the door of our soul or not, or keep it closed. As I've said many times, God has given us free will, and he respects that. Now, that free will is great, but also at the same time is terrifying. Jesus stands knocking at the door of our soul. He wants nothing more than to join his life with ours. So what should we do? Well, with humility, courage, and grace, open that door, the door of your soul. See, the book of Revelation is saying the meaning of life is given in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus wants nothing more than to give us life and life in abundance in this world, but better yet, in the world to come, the world of heaven. All we have to do is summon the courage, the humility, and the grace to open the door of our soul and welcome Jesus into our life each and every day of our life. Friends, the book of Revelation is something we shouldn't fear, but instead we should embrace, in fact, joyfully, because of the great message that Jesus gives us. He is knocking at our door. He wants nothing more to join his life with ours for all of eternity. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ Rest upon you always.